Let us pray. O God, you truly are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we do pray that we may adore you now and forevermore. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. We may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you here, and thank you for coming out in the wet, and hope everyone's got your electricity back on. I know, talked with, or I was in communication with someone from the church yesterday who just finally got their electricity back yesterday morning since Monday, and so, um, yes, so glad that all of you are here. We had a wonderful service this past Thursday evening, despite the the weather we had this week, um, on the occasion of Epiphany, the date on the church calendar, which commemorates the visit of the Magi to the young child Jesus and his parents. And Father Morgan Reed, we did that in conjunction with Corpus Christi Anglican Church, and um, their vicar, Father Morgan Reed, was our preacher and did a wonderful job and look forward to continuing to do um, ministry partnership with them and some of our other sister churches in the area in the days ahead. The Magi's visit to the young child Jesus and his parents represents or speaks to the revelation or manifestation of Jesus Christ to the entire Gentile world. This is also something that Simeon spoke of prophetically in our gospel reading from last Sunday in Luke 2, where we read, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel And the Holy Spirit was upon him and had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. What happens in this event of the visit of the Magi is much more than simply a visit. As I just mentioned, it is a revelation, not only to the Jews, but now also through the representation of these pagan Gentile magi, a representation of who, Jesus, of who Jesus truly is for the whole world. Who Jesus as is as the Messiah, the promised king, the eternal son of God who would die for the sins of the world. In today's gospel, New Testament readings, this epiphany or revealing of who Jesus is continues. And it continues in two significant ways of Christ's baptism that I want to speak of today. There are other ways as well that it continues. And there are so many directions that one can go with the baptism of Jesus because there is so much packed into this text of scripture. But the two areas I want to focus on today begin with this first. In what happens when Jesus is baptized, Luke Luke chapter 3 verses 21 through 22 tell us this. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. 
In this event, we see a supernatural declaration of who Jesus is as the eternal son of God. This is, in a sense, at Christ's baptism, the inauguration of his ministry as Messiah. But contra some heresies that developed in the early church, and those of you that were in the Sunday school class today, you started talking about this in terms of the creeds. The creeds were written and developed by the early church to, to be a, a stand in contrast to these heresies, especially ones that grew up in the Western church. Contrary to these heresies, Jesus did not become Messiah at his baptism. Jesus was not adopted as God the Son in that moment. He is God the Son eternal from all time and eternity past. Jesus was just as much Messiah at that manger in Bethlehem. He was just as much Messiah and the eternal son of God when he was in his mother Mary's womb as he was in this moment. And he is eternally existent before all time and ages past. Today's collect, we prayed at the baptism of Jesus, you revealed him to be your son. So at Christ's baptism, there was a fuller revelation of the reality that Jesus is indeed the eternal son of God, but it wasn't as if somehow it began just at that moment. And we have to keep that in mind as believers at all times. Also at the baptism of Jesus, we have a revelation of the triune nature of our God, our God who is father, son, and Holy spirit. And this wonderful picture here of, of Jesus Going, coming up out of the water and the spirit invisible form descending on him like a dove and the voice of the father from heaven saying, this is my beloved son with him. I am well pleased. There is no clearer revelation in all of scripture of the triune nature of our God, the Godhead, father, son, and Holy spirit. The second revelation we see at Jesus' baptism comes in the form of a prophecy spoken by John the Baptist in Luke 3, 16. When John is being questioned about whether he may himself may be the Messiah, the promised one, he states very clearly that he is not and continues saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Can't overemphasize the importance of John's statement here, a statement that is recorded in all four Gospels. There are a lot of events that are only recorded in one, two, in some cases, maybe even three of the Gospels. One, but when something is recorded by all four gospel writers. We need to pay attention. We need to listen up. We need to take heart because God is speaking to us about things that are of particularly profound importance for us. He, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. A promise foretold by John, the last of the Old Testament prophets, 
a ministry of Jesus as the Messiah, which he himself spoke about and promised to his followers. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus reiterates this promise to his disciples, John 15, 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then continuing in verses 13 through 15 of John 16. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus is unequivocally clear. This promise of the Holy Spirit comes only through his death, resurrection, and ascension. Jesus basically is saying, I must go in order that the Holy Spirit of God may come. Now, to be clear... The Holy Spirit was already at work in the world. We, we've talked about that in, in past weeks with the prophets in the Old Testament, how God, the Spirit of God came upon them and how the Spirit of God even filled some of them prophetically as forerunners of what God would make possible to all of the church, to all believers through Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension. But the Spirit coming in fullness and being poured out on the church on potentially all believers is something that requires the, the ascension of Jesus back to the right hand of the Father. And Jesus continues to remind his followers of this core and essential truth. Again, in Acts chapter 1, immediately before he sends back to the, ascends back to the Father, Jesus once again announces to his disciple that the inauguration of this promise, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit is almost at hand. Look at Acts 1, 4 through 9 with me. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of it to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. This is Jesus' promise to believers. And this is Jesus. This is God's plan for the proclamation of the gospel to the whole world. That not merely through human ingenuity or human means or human efforts, but by God's mean and God's power. The Polish power of the Holy Spirit of God himself and for God's glory, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses, Jesus says. In Jerusalem, their local neighborhood, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. 
This is the resurrected Lord of glory's promise to all, to all who trust in him. It's important that we understand this in relation to epiphany that we observed this week. Salvation going not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles and to the entire world. This revelation will be accomplished in and through and by the power of the Holy Spirit of God himself. Even as Simeon said, my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. So we see the promise fulfilled then in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is God's revelation of this promise being fulfilled in the first century. Beginning in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. The fulfillment of what Jesus had just prophesied and promised his followers in Acts chapter 1 that we just read. But it doesn't stop in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. In Acts 8 we see the promise expanding to Samaria. And Simon the sorcerer there, although he had ulterior motives, Simon recognized Simon recognized that these believers had power and had something. Again, his, his motives were skewed, but he understood they had something that was real, a power that was beyond themselves, and he wanted it because he saw the reality of the power of the Spirit of God at work in these disciples. We see it expanding even further in Acts chapter 10 and 11 to the Gentiles in the household of Cornelius and Caesarea. We've read about some of that in today's New Testament reading from Acts chapter 10. We continue with that in Acts chapter 10. Right after Peter opens his mouth and proclaims the good news to the Gentiles, beginning at verse 44, we see that the Holy Spirit of God himself comes upon the Gentiles and he comes upon them in the same way that he came upon these Jewish believers at the beginning on the day of Pentecost. And then in Acts chapter 11, Peter returning to the church in Jerusalem reports to the church what has happened. Acts eleven fifteen. as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered what I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts 19, we see this promise extending even further to the Ephesian church, the Gentiles and the churches in Asia Minor. It continues from there as the gospel is proclaimed throughout the known world at that time. And spread rapidly because of the power and the anointing of God, the Holy Spirit. But this promise fulfilled is not just for then. It is not just for the New Testament church in the book of Acts. This has been God's promise down through all of the centuries in the church until Christ returns. And the promise is still Available and fulfilled today as God works in the hearts and the lives of his people. Coming a different tact than, from, than that of Simon the Sorcerer, I remember back many years ago as a fairly young believer who had, had a living in real and true faith in Jesus, encountering friends, and these were folks in the Methodist church at the time, including some pastors, 
And I realized that they had a power from God and a dimension in their walk with God that I didn't have because of the fullness, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I searched and I wrestled with scripture and I talked with people and God put a burning desire for that same reality and power in my heart. And then God fulfilled that and baptized me with his Holy Spirit as well. Yes, the biblical accounts begin on Pentecost, but this anointing of the spirit to proclaim the gospel in power to the whole world is available to all of God's people. It's the idea of the Old Testament prophets who were anointed and filled and empowered with the Spirit. And now, through the resurrected and ascended Jesus, that power is made available to all of God's people, that all of God's people would be God's prophets, would be God's spokespersons, declaring the work of the Lord, not in human weakness, but in the strength and the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit and all the wonderful things that come with that. You see, as Jesus talked about with those first century believers, the fullness of the spirit is not some bless me club. Oh, there is wonderful, wonderful blessing in being filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit, which is something separate from conversion. But the purpose is not that self-focused. The purpose is that you will be my witnesses in my power and in my anointing and in my strength and for my glory. That's an experience. And it's not for the sake of experience. It's not something emotional. This is biblical stuff. This is God's truth that he makes available to all of his people as we call upon him and look to him. About three years ago, I had the wonderful privilege of attending a bishop's consecration in Mountain Brook, Alabama, just outside of Birmingham. And I, as many of you know, I um, am a licensed chaplain with the Anglican Church of North America and the jurisdiction of the armed forces and chaplaincy, which essentially functions as a diocese for chaplains um, under Bishop Derek Jones. I am licensed by them even to this day. And the chaplain's jurisdiction was, um, had been approved to receive two assistant bishops. And so um, Michael Williams and Mark Nordstrom are both consecrated as bishops. Bishop John and a whole slew of folks from um, the College of Bishops were there as well at that service in Mountain Brook. And it was a long service, about two and a half hours. Now, I know for those of you that were Bishop John's consecration in Uganda, um, that's a very truncated bishop's consecration. <laughs> but this was on American time, not on Ugandan time. And so it was about a two and a half hour service. But the preacher for that service was Bishop Martin Mintz, who many of you know, longtime rector at Truro Church here in Northern Virginia in Fairfax, then bishop in the ACNA and the Anglican Church in North America. And I want to play, I've asked Jason, and he's done a wonderful job queuing this up, to play about a four-minute clip of Bishop Martin's sermon that day because he talked to these new bishops about the ministry they were being called to and that they would need faith, hope, and love. But then he went on to say, the one other thing you're going to need is the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to hear what he has to say and shares 
from his own story and his own experience, because I think it applies and relates to every single one of us, whether we're lay or clergy or bishop, it applies. So please listen, and then I'll come back. But your most important responsibility is to love the chaplains and their families. They are remarkable men and women whose dedication and commitment continues to inspire all of us. But there are men and women with families who face all of the challenges of life in this 21st century. They are expected to pour out their lives for others, and you are the ones who are to care for them. Following the example of Christ, you are to bind up the brokenhearted, encourage those who are overwhelmed, renew the vision of those who have lost their way, and set free those who are bruised. You also have to remember you to love your own wives and families. You've both married well. One might also say married up. <laughs> because Christine and Becky are remarkable women. They are the ones who will pay a high price for your ministry. They already have. And they need to be your first priority after the Lord. So there we have it. Faith, hope, and love. But there's one more thing, and that is power. You will need supernatural power to do all of this. And that power is available. It is the kind of power that was witnessed at the first Pentecost. It is the kind of power that broke through during that Christmas truce in 1914. It is the only power strong enough for you to do the work to which you have been called. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness, it is withheld. As many of you know, I grew up in the Baptist church. It's something for which I will ever be forever grateful it was there when I came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. It was there where I developed my love for and trust in the Bible as God's revealed truth. But as Baptists, we were not too enthusiastic about the Holy Spirit. Actually, we called him the Holy Ghost. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and no one likes ghosts too much. <laughs> And it wasn't until we came to these United States, now more than 50 years ago, that I heard any positive mention of the Holy Spirit. But I wasn't especially impressed. It was the early days of the charismatic renewal, and frankly, those Pentecostalists made me very nervous. They were way too happy-clappy for my liking. I much preferred the stiff upper lip. And I knew God agreed with me. <laughs> but I can still remember one evening in the early 1970s when I traveled to Grace Church in Old Saybrook, not far from Rome, for a renewal weekend. It was part of a mission team for our church in Darien, but in truth, I was the one who needed to be renewed. I arrived late and went to the church to try to prepare myself. Mercifully, it was empty. So I just sat there all alone. I was tired. And I was ready to quit. And that was how I began my prayer. I advised God that it was all over. I could not keep going. He had my resignation. I quit. 
But as I knelt and told the Lord these things, something began to happen within me. I told him, Lord, I need your power, your spirit, because my own strength is simply not enough. And as I prayed, I realized I was no longer praying in a language that I had ever learned. It didn't feel particularly weird. It was as if I was having a direct conversation with God, heart to heart, no words needed. He was my other father, and I was his child. I prayed this for a while, and frankly began to wonder whether I'd ever go back to normal again. I was relieved when I discovered I could stop and start at will. I also noticed something happening within me. The burden had been lifted. I had a peace and a power within me that I'd never known. I had a new source of strength and direction. And I still do. That power is yours. In a few minutes, we'll be praying for both of you to receive the Holy Spirit for the office and work of a bishop in the Church of God. It's no mere liturgical formula or optional extra. It is essential if you are to do the work to which you've been called. Faith, hope, love, and power. May all these be yours as you serve the living God. And one more thing. I want to remind you. <laughs> Humility. Okay. That's what he's going to say. The one more thing is humility and then he transitioned and he washed the new bishop's feet. Faith, hope, love, power, humility. What did Bishop Martin say? This is essential, speaking of the power of the Holy Spirit, if you were to do the work to which you were called. That's not true just for bishops. That's not true just for priests and deacons. That's true for every one of us and the ministry to which God is calling us here in this place, in the workplaces where he has called you to, in your neighborhood, in your schools, in your military unit, wherever God has placed you, his will and his heart's desire is to give us each this fullness and power of his Holy Spirit to be his people, to be his witnesses in our Jerusalem and our Judea and our Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. This is God's will and God's heart and God's plan for us to do and accomplish his work and to be the people he is calling us to be. For some, you've never experienced this feeling of the Holy Spirit for yourself. And for a whole lot of us, we need to be refilled as, as Ephesians, St. Paul talks about Ephesians, we are to keep on being filled with the Spirit. We continue to draw from and drink from this well of the Spirit of God. As I conclude this one, what I would like to do is take some time to wait in the Lord's presence, to ask him to fill us, to fill us afresh. There's nothing weird about this. This is, this is biblical. This is scriptural. This is God's plan for us 
to do his work. So can we take a moment just to wait in the presence of the Lord? You may want to open your hands to the Lord, however the Lord would lead you, and ask him to fill you, to baptize you in his Holy Spirit for the first time, or to fill you afresh. Let us wait on the Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Spirit of the living God. Lord, pour out your Spirit. Lord, even as Jesus promised, you baptize us and fill us with your Spirit. Fill us with your presence and your power. Lord, for your glory and your purposes. Lord, forgive us, forgive me when we or I have tried to do things in the weakness of the flesh. Lord, we know that that is displeasing to you, even if well-intended. And you have something far better and far greater for your people. Lord, empower us. Even now, pour out your spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, to be witnesses of the Most High God. To be used in your power to break yokes of bondage in the lives of people. To see them set free. To see them healed. To see them redeemed. And made new creations in Christ. And Lord, do this for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.